Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Last week, Jenny introduced us to a new sermon series, Prayer and Self-Denial. Jenny spoke about how we're all woven together. And, that, and uh, through this, we make up God's masterpiece. And it was really was a great introduction, Jenny. And I even learned that my wife was Canadian, which is nice. I was just thought she was a little bit slow. That's, that's a complete joke. That's a complete joke. I was going to say, English is Juliet's third language. Eh? Destroys me in Scrabble every time. But that will change once I figure out a way to cheat. <laughs> so anyways, today we're going to be talking about the second theme which is mending the mess along the lines of that video we saw. So we're going to jump straight into it. I'm starting in Hosea chapter 1. So whoever wants to go there by any means necessary. Now a bit of a backstory to Hosea. So uh, Hosea, sorry. It's, it's a first in a series of books uh, called the Minor Prophets. It sits right between Daniel and Joel in the Old Testament. So Hosea lived in the northern kingdom of Israel um, about 750 years ago. And uh, this was 750 years, sorry, before Jesus, 2,750 years ago, if my math's right, in a time where one of Israel's worst kings, Jeroboam II, was reigning. So this is at a time when Israel's had rich elite who were just oppressing the poor. Basically, everyone was worshipping idols. It was, it was chaos. Israel was, was falling into chaos. So we're going to look at the first three chapters which details Hosea's relationship with his wife, Goma. So Hosea's a prophet, he's a dedicated prayer man, and one day God comes to him, or speaks to him, sorry, and instruction to take, instructs him to take this woman, Goma, as his wife. Now she's described as quite beautiful, so I'm sure he didn't need too much confront, uh, convincing on that front, but the Lord says something strange about her, in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, and I'm going to attempt to take, oh, there we go, I'll read it out. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So whoredoms meaning that she was either involved in or would be involved in promiscuous sexual activity, and their, their children would be a, a product of that. Now, Hosea is this prophet. He's this holy man of God. He's, he's calling out Israel for their sins. Sorry, Hosea 1, 2. I might have got it around the wrong way. Apologies. Thank you, Jeremy. So, uh, yeah, Hosea is a holy man of God. He's a prophet. He's calling out Israel for their sins and the worship of false idols. And here he has been instructed to involve himself with a woman that he knows will be unfaithful to him. Sounds like an absolute headache from the outset to me. But Hosea faithfully obeys, and life is about to get pretty messy for him. Now, to be fair, it all starts off okay. Hosea and Goma have a baby, um, a baby boy, and this child appears to legitimately be Hosea's. Then the Lord's words about Goma start coming true. She starts straying, sleeping around. Maybe she gets a bit bored with old straight-laced Hosea. Um, the Bible doesn't appear to say, but she ends up having another two children 
and these appear to be from affairs with other men. And it's, it's at this point that my heart really goes out to Hosea. Here he is a prophet of God, a faithful man. He's supposed to be upholding God's covenant, and his own life is a mess. I imagine him wandering the streets, calling out to Goma to come home. He probably had friends and family coming up to him saying, I saw Goma with this man and that man, and why do you put up with it, Hosea? And his kids, they all had such depressing names. Names given to them by the Lord because they reflected his current relationship with Israel. His first son, Jezreel, was named after a, a place of great beauty, a, a, a plain with great beauty but it, um, and richness, but over time it had become ravaged and, um, and saw a lot of bloodshed. And his daughter, bear with me here, Lo Ruhama, means no mercy. It's his daughter's name, and his youngest son, Lo Ami, means you are not my people, and I am not your God. Imagine that at morning roll call. Not the name you want to have. So at some point, Goma just abandons Hosea altogether and their three children. She goes off to be with her lovers. It all must have got a bit much for Hosea. Chapter 2 details this statement. It's, it's like this prophetic prayer of Hosea about this whole situation. And people argue about if this was prayer was strictly about Israel or about Goma or if it's Hosea speaking, or if it's God speaking. And in all my time looking into it, I can honestly say I, I felt that it's a bit of both. You see, God wanted his prophet Hosea to truly know how he felt, this is God, how God felt about his people abandoning him for false idols, about their adultery against the covenant he established with Israel. And Goma was that example to Hosea. Hosea was living out Israel's rebellion to God in his own life. So in this prophetic prayer, God and Hosea lay it all out on the table. And they express their disgust for Gomer's actions, for Israel's actions, how she's mistreated Hosea, how Israel has mistreated God, and how they both haven't appreciated what's been given to them. But midway through this, it all kind of changes tact. The prayer starts to become about, and I'm going to say that she would realize her mistakes and come back to him that a hedge of thorns would make a wall around her so that she wouldn't be able to continue down sinful paths, that the lovers she seeks would not satisfy her, that she would come to her senses and return to her first love. The Lord even speaks the following about Israel in verse 14. So this is Hosea, Hosea 2 verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, which is like woo her, win her back, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably or, or tenderly to her. I will return her vineyards from thence and the valley of Angkor for our door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. He goes on to say, Lord goes on to say in verse 23, I will sow, I will sow her. So he's again talking about Israel. He's been talking about multiplying them unto me in the earth. And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say unto them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and now shall say, Thou art my God. So Hosea and the Lord, are, they're like they're echoing each other. Hosea is talking about his wife Goma, while the Lord's talking about his people, the Israelites. Both Goma and Israel have been unfaithful. 
Both have forsaken their covenant husbands for affairs with strange men and with strange gods. So in chapter 3, the Lord again speaks to Hosea and commands him to go get Gomer back. You see, unfortunately, things had got a bit messy for Gomer. She'd racked up debts that she couldn't pay back. And in those days, if you couldn't pay back your debts, you got sold as a slave to cover them. Now, it doesn't say much about whether Hosea thought about it. My question is, what would you do? Hosea could have had Gomer stoned for infidelity. After all, it, it would have served her right, wouldn't it? Why, why should he rescue a woman that's put him through all this hurt? But Hosea obeys the Lord. So here he goes. He goes to buy Gomer back. She's currently in slavery. It doesn't really give details. that She probably was either a temple prostitute or a slave to one of her lovers. He doesn't have enough money to buy her back outright. So he's got to pay in barley as well, which is a type of grain. And scholars argue that the total amount equated to 30 pieces of silver. He had 15 pieces plus his barley. So 30 pieces of silver. I don't know if that rings any bells. After he pays her debt and she's free, he asks her to dwell with him and be faithful to him. And there's no commentary after that about whether she does remain faithful to him. But in the light of such love and, and such sacrifice and in such self-denial, we had hoped that she would have come to her senses. I think as Christians, we, especially me, <laughs> have a tendency to insert ourselves into the story as the hero. We like to think of ourselves as a Daniel or the David. So you might be thinking, okay, yes, I get it. I'm supposed to be like Hosea and pray for those and pray for and forgive those who wrong me. First off, I'm saying we're not Hosea, we're Gomer. We're the ones who have committed adultery and broken the laws of God. We strayed from him, we've hauled ourselves out to the gods of this world, and as a result, we became slaves to sin. The name Hosea means salvation, but he's just a shadow of the real saviour, Jesus. So I think it's fair to say that the world is still a messy place, yeah? Who here regularly watches the news? I did for a time, <laughs> especially over lockdown. Uh, there wasn't much else to do. But I found myself getting pretty angry of what I heard and what I saw. The mainstream news constantly attacks and twists the words of believers. People stand up there and they piously, you know, self-righteously defend these evil views. And, um, and then they blame Christianity for all the previous failings. Like, well, if God didn't exist, why didn't he just make a perfect world from the beginning? Well, he did. We just weren't interested. <laughs> and it was honestly making my blood boil a little bit, you know, watching all this. And part of me thought, just being honest, part of me thought, just you wait until you face this God that you so ignorantly reject. He will eat you for breakfast. I was almost salivating at the thought of their punishment and destruction. Is that how Jesus would react to these people and to this mess? Well, thankfully we've got some words from Jesus. Matthew 5.44 But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. He goes on as well in Luke 6.35 to say, But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, 
and this is important, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. And then I thought I'd just back it up with some Paul, which is 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 6. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, so I urge you, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So not only did Jesus talk about it, he lived it out as well. Then said Jesus, this is Luke twenty-three thirty-four. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and his coat and cast lots over it. So Jesus here is, is talking about the people who had just stripped him naked, whipped him almost to death, nailed him to a cross, all while mocking and taunting him. And now as he hangs there gasping for breath, dying for them, they're gambling for his clothes. They couldn't care less. <laughs> That's probably their tenth execution that day or something like that. Says in Corinthians four four that the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Jesus took pity on our poor spiritual condition, just as Hosea took pity on Gomer's. Now don't get me wrong, Jesus wasn't a pushover. <laughs> He straight drove thousands of people out of a temple with a whip that he made himself. He was serious about his father's house of prayer. However, his heart for the lost didn't change because of their sins. He didn't just pray for his enemies. Romans 5.8 says that because of God's love, Christ died for them, and that includes us. Luke 12.48 For unto whomsoever much is given of him of him shall be much required. That's some good King James right there. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. We've been given so much grace and forgiveness. I believe, according to Luke 12, that means that much grace, mercy, and forgiveness will be required of us. Now, why am I bringing this all up? Because how are we supposed to truly pray and minister to people that persecute us? if we don't truly have a heart for them? And how can we have a heart for them if we don't grasp that they are exactly like us? They have a story, they're broken, and most of all, they need Jesus. Now, I'm sure most people could stand up here and, and recount a story of the power of prayer in a messy situation. Uh, this is one that came to me uh, when I was considering this sermon. Many of you know I used to live in Melbourne, and um, that was one of the messiest times in my life. It was pretty much chaos every day. I remember when me and my flatmate had this genius idea to skip town, basically, and buy a one-way ticket to Thailand because cheap beer and cheap accommodation. So we thought, cool, that sounds like us. I quit my job over the phone, um, and we booked some flights online. 
packed up everything, left the keys on the kitchen counter, closed the door, see you later. We didn't even tell our landlord that we were leaving. We were running late to the airport, which is the story of my life, and driving a big <laughs> rental moving van. So I jumped out because we were running late and I was starting to stress out. I jumped out to check us in. I'm running towards the door and um, I hear this massive crash behind me, this crashing sound. I turn around and my flatmate had m- managed to run straight into a late series BMW. This must have been a $200,000 car. Needless to say, we missed that flight. It's actually the only flight I've ever missed. Yeah. We got back to the flat. I was pretty angry at him. We got back to the flat. It cost me thousands just straight away. They took the money out of my account for the for the excess. <laughs> so we get back to the flat. We've got nothing. Go to open the door. Of course, the keys are inside. It's all locked. Cue the locksmith. <laughs> So after a second round of booking tickets, see, I didn't give up easy. After a second round of booking tickets, we're on our way to the airport again. And I had the most horrible feeling of dread come over me. I told my, I turned to my flatmate and I said, I, I can't go. I don't know why, but I can't go. I bought the next, I booked the next flight to New Zealand. And when I got home, I'll never forget my mum hugging me and telling me, I prayed for you every day. And that wasn't a throwaway comment. It wasn't like I prayed for you when I remembered or whenever you asked. I felt the Lord put it on my heart that she meant it. She prayed every day. She didn't miss a day. Paul says to pray without ceasing, and that's exactly what she did. Now, right after that, it was all in the news, Thailand erupted into political riots. They've had a few, but this was a bad one. My flatmate and I would have been right in the middle of it, probably drunk, and with little money to to get home. Intercession prayer is a powerful thing, yes. Even praying for those we love and care about can be quite an effort. But would we be brave enough to pray blessings over those difficult people in our life? Would we be willing to fast for them? Would we be willing to pray... God, if it be your will, take from me and give to them. Now just FYI, a number of studies show that people that pray consistently for others have significantly reduced impact on their health from stressful financial situations. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Now I'm going to attempt to summarize this with three things that I personally got out of of researching this sermon. Number one is, Unforgiveness might be affecting your prayer life. We need to deny ourselves those fleshly desires to be selfish, to hold grudges, to be jealous, and to remain unforgiving. Now I could probably count on one hand the amount of serious arguments I've had with Juliet, um, and she's won them all, by the way. <laughs> and afterwards, I'm always uh, my personality is I just want to make up immediately. I don't want there to be any weird feelings, but Juliet often says to me, I'm still mad. Just let me be mad for a bit. (laughs) And I get that. I do. Hosea didn't bottle it all up. He laid bare his feelings about the situation. But the important thing is he didn't dwell there. And neither did the Lord. I mean, the Lord had all these feelings too. It's, It's when we indulge in the anger and the jealousy and the resentment and we feed those things that it becomes unhealthy. 
especially spiritually. Mark 11.25, you King James there, see I'm getting there. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Isaiah could have been all those things towards Gomer, angry, jealous, resentful. However, he chose to obey God and be a part of mending the mess. Number two, we shouldn't be afraid of the mess. I'm not saying we should seek it out per se. In John, but in John chapter 15, 9, it says we're in the world but not, but not of the world. Ideally, we don't want to be the mess. But we shouldn't be afraid of getting our hands dirty. And that's something, and sometimes that's about what mending the mess or cleaning up the mess entails. There's a branch of Christianity out there at the moment that seems to think if you're a faithful Christian, you should always be healthy and happy and rich. Well, the Christian walk just seems a bit more complicated than that to me, a bit messier than that. Today we've looked at the life of Hosea, but there are numerous faithful, God-fearing biblical characters that lived messy lives, went through extremely difficult trials, from David to Paul and, of course, Jesus himself. And to me, I look at that back wall with all these profiles. Those people aren't afraid of a little mess. Number three, my final point, we can't do it alone. I wasn't about to ask you guys to do something that I wasn't going to do myself. So I made a list of the most difficult people in my life. Once my hand got sore, I thought, right, the list is ready. (laughs) No, it wasn't quite that bad. I, I made a list of these people and I started praying for them every day. And I'll be honest, I got exhausted after about a week. I won't go into detail about the results, and there were results, praise the Lord. But to be honest, it's more about what God did in me in praying for those people uh, rather than what he appeared to do in their life. And I know he did things in their life, but it changed my attitude towards them. In and of ourselves, we just don't have it. We need the daily input and outpouring of the Holy Spirit if we're ever going to walk down the path that Jesus walked. The Holy Spirit is constantly trying to conform us to the image of Jesus. And as we've already discussed, Jesus is quite clear on how we should be treating those more difficult people in our lives. We're the ones with a relationship with God. We need to be interceding for those who have no relationship. Our friends, our family, our workmates, and I believe especially the government, no matter what their motivations, need our prayers. I believe God can turn anything into something that brings him glory and praise. We can but sow the seed and the Holy Spirit does the rest. You might have noticed a bit of an addition to the newsletter. Snuck this in. Um, It's some ideas for some prayers for people on how to start. I didn't prepare it. Um, It was given to Jeremy and I. You might recognize it. Jeremy at a CAP conference some time ago. I thought it was really well done. My challenge to you is the same challenge I set myself. Complete a list of people that you really struggle with. People that you secretly compete against. People that you know just don't like you. And start praying consistently for them. And I would strongly recommend that our current Prime Minister is on that list. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't really know anyone that annoys me or doesn't like me, then congratulations. You're the person everyone else is thinking of. (laughs) 
<laughs> On that note, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you didn't just leave us in slavery to sin. Thank you that you gave us your precious son, Jesus Christ, as a one and done payment for all those terrible things we've done to set us free. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make us an initiator of love, especially in difficult relationships. That we wouldn't just wait to see how much love is given to us and then give back proportionately. That we would love as you love. We're available, Lord Jesus. Use us all for your glory and for the expansion of your kingdom. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church